Well, it's going to be a little bit different this morning. I'm going to read in Acts 16 mainly, but the purpose is to start a new series working through Philippians, uh, verse by verse, and I'm going to read Philippians 1.1, and then we're going to read Acts 16 mainly. So Acts 16 is about the start of the Philippian church. So Philippians 1.1 says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with overseers and deacons. So this letter to the Philippians is about a church. And the reason I want to start in Acts 16 is that's where the Philippian church begins. And it kind of gives you a face in some ways, even though we can't see their faces, but faces to put with this letter. So it's the people that he's writing to. And there's a lot about his relationship with the people in Philippians. And so it seems good to look back at how it started and to give some backstory. And we'll refer to that as we go through Philippians about how it started. And and there's so much overlap in Philippians. Now, before we read Acts 16, where we meet some of these people, I just thought I would start by saying that we're going to ask two questions of this passage. And it's two questions that you could ask of any passage. And I know growing up in church, I read my Bible. My parents wanted me to read my Bible. And a lot of times I would read and that was it. That's all I did. I just read. I didn't really know what it meant or understand it. And so these two questions are good, really. If you have kids, you can easily explain how they can read the Bible and understand what they're reading. Or as an adult, I still ask myself these questions. But someone explained this to me. They drew an arrow down, and they said, that's to remember that you should ask, what does this tell me about myself or about man in general? So that would be an arrow pointing down, if you can imagine that. And then they drew an arrow pointing up, and they said, what does this passage teach me about God? And the, those two questions are good questions that you can ask of any chapter in the Bible. What does this teach me about myself or man in general? What does this teach, passage teach me about God? And so that's what we're going to ask as we go through Acts 16 and kind of get an intro to the book of Philippians. So we're going to start reading in Acts 16 verse 6 and so I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to do the points more chronologically through the story so I'm going to hit some things a couple different times and so we'll read a little bit stop and talk and keep going so starting in Acts 16 verse 6 and they went through the region of Phygra and Galatia and having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia this is Paul And when they had come up to Myasia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Myasia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Let's stop right there. And we can ask those two questions about these first few verses. What does this passage teach us about man? Well, men need help, apparently. Men need help, and what's the help they need? Apparently, it's the gospel. 
the vision did not say go preach the gospel. It said come and help. And Paul thinks that the help they need must be the gospel. So one thing we know about man is that man needs help and the help they need is the gospel. What does it teach us about God? Well, there's a living and active God. There's a God that not just created the world and steps back, but there's a God that is active in the world, sending people. And what kind of God is it? It's a good God that wants to help people. What kind of help? Good news, the gospel, which means good news. So we see a living and active God, and we see people that need help. So let's keep going. Now we're going to look at three different people here, three different stories of three different people that Paul meets as he ends up in Philippi. Verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So the first person, what's she like? Her name's Lydia. She's wealthy, likely. She's selling purple goods, which is kind of a luxury item. She's a God-fearer, likely had heard, it seems like, about the Jewish God, the God of the Bible from the Old Testament. It calls her a worshiper of God, and she's there at a prayer meeting. So this would be kind of an upper-class person. We know later on from the story that she has a house. She's wealthy. And that's the first person we meet. Now, the next person we meet, starting in verse 16, is about as different as you could possibly be from Lydia. So Lydia is over here, rich, uh, religious, got her act together, it seems like, uh, probably put together if you saw her on the street. And then starting in verse 16, look at this other person that we meet here. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when the owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing the, our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans to practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So the second person is about as different as you could get from Lydia. She's a slave, and she has a demon. And so she's not wealthy. She does not have her act together. She's not the kind of person you would think you would meet at a prayer meeting. She's young. 
She doesn't have her own house. So if there's, you know, societal classes, they're on opposite ends of the spectrum. They're on totally opposite ends. And likely, this girl had a demon, apparently, when Paul commanded in the name of Jesus the demon to come out. It was obvious that the demon did, so this girl must have looked out of her mind or something like that to where it was obvious a change came over that you could see, wow, the demon's gone. So, probably not put together. Probably, obviously different if you saw her out on the street. And that is the next person. The third person is somewhere in the middle between these two in terms of societal classes. And we're going to start there in verse 25. We meet the jailer. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized. At once he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. He rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore come out and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out the police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were roman citizens so they came and apologized to them and they took them out and asked them to leave the city so they went out of the prison visited lydia and when they had seen the brothers they encouraged them and departed so we see these three different people totally different people very different in terms of worldly classes we see on the Far extreme, wealthy, put together Lydia. On the far uh, other end, we see a slave girl that's demon-possessed. And somewhere in the middle is the Philippian jailer who has a job. But if you read through carefully, he's being ordered to do things. And if he doesn't do his job well, he is afraid that um, he thinks death might be better than whatever's going to happen to him. And so he is somewhere in between. He's kind of a servant, but yet... He has a family, he he has a home that he lives in, unlike the slave girl. He has members of his household, he must have a family. And so, three totally different people. And what do we learn about man from this? Well, wherever man's at, from somebody who, there's such a mess you don't know where to start, to somebody who's got it all put together, they all have the same problem. And that is, they all need Jesus. Sin is the problem. They need to hear the gospel. All men are in the same place. 
All men need to hear that there's a God, a G, uh, Jesus Christ, who we need to trust, who needs to become our Lord. Uh, the baptism that happened to Lydia and the jailer, we know earlier from Acts what it symbolizes, the washing away of their sins. And so we know that you see somebody on the street uh, and you see them, they're not put together at all. They, you know, this girl has a lot of problems and then you see somebody walking down the street who would be a millionaire in a suit and you look at them, you don't think immediately. They both need the exact same thing. They both have the same problem and the same solution. But that's the truth. All men, wherever you're at, wherever anyone you meet is at, they need to hear about Jesus Christ. That's what they need. And so what do we learn about people? All people are in the same predicament. And this predicament is they need the Lord. Now, I'll give you an example uh, an example from present day. So on the one hand, somebody who's got a lot of money and all put together, I have referenced this interview before, but it's so helpful I'll reference it again. Tom Brady, he's a, the quarterback for the Patriots, and there's an interview with him on 20 Minutes, and the guy starts listing all his accomplishments. You just signed a contract for $100 million. You're married to a supermodel. You've got this many Super Bowl rings. You, you know, were voted this and that, uh, honor and all that. And he said, what more could there be? And Tom Brady turns to the interviewer and says, I wish I knew there's got to be more to life than this. And the interviewer looks shocked and says, what is there? And he says, I wish I knew. And it's just horribly sad. It's a millionaire who's got everything he could want. And what? He's got all the pleasures in the world, and they leave him unfulfilled. You look at that guy, and you look at someone who's in un, you know, unbearable suffering, somebody who's like a slave, somebody on the total opposite ends, maybe somebody who's homeless, who's, who's got just problems that look nothing like Tom Brady's problems. That person also has the same problem. They, they have a problem of sin that they need to be saved from. They have a Lord that they need to submit to. And they have a gospel they need to believe. Good news. It's amazing, really. It's amazing to think if you were walking down the street and two people cross your path, somebody who lives in the trailer park down the road and Tom Brady, you could stop them both and say, hey, listen, I know both of you, and I know what both of you need. And it's the same thing. It's Jesus Christ. Uh, I'll give you a short summary. This is from another pastor, and I actually forgot to write down the name of the pastor. But here's the quote. It says that if you want to summarize this, this encounter, it could be summarized in this. It shows that in all our pleasures, Jesus is better, and in all our suffering, Jesus is enough. So whether you've got everything the world could offer or yours in in misery and, and your life's horrible, in both cases, you need Jesus. And we see both ends here of the spectrum. So we see the three different people and we see God pursuing all of them. Not only is there good news that goes to all, all the different groups, there's a God pursuing all the different groups. God, the same God who sent Paul to Lydia, is the same God who sent Paul to this deliver this slave girl. The same God who sent Paul to the jailer. 
God loves all types of people. God's pursuing and he's active. And it's not just that he sent someone. He's active in their lives. If you really look at this story, you see God acting not only in sending, but in the midst of the meetings. And with Lydia, you see in verse 14, it says, The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So not only did God send Paul, God's working in her heart as she's hearing what happens with the slave girl. Not only did God send Paul, we know that it's Jesus who has the authority to cast out the demon. And Paul was doing it not in his own name, but in the name of Jesus. It was the power of Jesus that delivered this, this slave girl. And in the same with the jailer. We see God working in the situation. The jailer was hearing them sing hymns and songs and talk about the Lord, but he wasn't affected. But then what happens? The earth shakes, the doors open, and all their chains fall off. Well, that doesn't sound like a normal earthquake, right? That's a lot of coincidences there for all the doors to come open and everyone's chains to fall off. Um, it doesn't say chains. It says, um, let me look at the, I, don't want to get, I want to get it word perfect here. Bonds, it says. Everyone's bonds fell off. Well, that seems like a pretty supernatural, supernatural earthquake. And yet, what happened? It wasn't hearing the truth uh, that Paul was singing. It was the incident and the fact that they stayed in the jail that somewhat shook him into falling on his knees, it says, in fear and saying, what must I do to be saved? We see three different people on different ends of spectrums, but we see three totally different encounters as well. God's meeting them and working in their lives in totally different ways. Lydia, she's just at a prayer meeting that turns into a Bible study. Nothing supernatural happens in terms of outwardly. There's supernatural work of God to open her heart, but there's no outward miracle like there is with the jailer or with the slave girl. And, and what? God met her there and saved her. She was baptized. He's accepted the Lord, turned him as her Savior, washed away her sins by his blood, and proclaimed that outwardly through baptism. Totally, totally different encounter than the jailer, who wasn't affected by the truth he was hearing sung. But it was this incident, this uh, life-changing incident, where he felt that he was literally about to die because it was so bad that all the... Prisoners had escaped. And then what? They say, no, don't hurt yourself. We're all here. And he falls down and trembling with fear. What must I do to be saved? Something rattled him. Something in the experience rattled him to the place where he saw, I need what you have in there. I mean, it's a pretty amazing encounter when you're on the inside of the jail and the jailer's coming in to you and saying, I want what you've got in here. I don't, have the, I don't have what I want out there. I want to be like you guys who are in the cell. That's pretty amazing. But that's what happened. And it seems like with the jailer, it wasn't just the truth presented. It was the life of Paul that in some way the lived out Christian example that affected him. They're singing. It, it, they made sure they wrote down how they're singing hymns with joy to God in the jail. That's pretty striking. And then when the jail doors open, what's the natural thing to do? I mean, God, your chains fall off and God opens the jail doors. It seems pretty natural you're going to leave the jail, but they don't. They stay. That's, that's Christian contentment right there, isn't it? That's a picture of Christian contentment. I've got all I want. I'm, I can sing with joy to Jesus Christ in the jail. And if the 
chains fell off. I can stay. I don't have to go. That's amazing. And it affected the jailer. And maybe it was their love for him. Don't hurt yourself. I mean, think about that. The doors are open. The jailer is about, you know, the person guarding you is about to hurt themselves. And you say, no, don't hurt. We We don't want you to hurt yourself. We'll stay. We won't leave. That's love. That's Christian love. And it seems like there, there was an effect there on the jailer. There was an effect, but it seems like it was more of a Christian example. So we see three different people, three different encounters, but there's one gospel. There's one solution. It's Jesus. What must we do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. They all have this need. They all have this need, and the one need is the gospel. They need to hear the good news that there's a king, Jesus, and you can turn your life over to him, that he'll wash away your sins. He'll, he's pursuing you. He's, he's real and living today, and he wants to know you. You need to begin to trust him, and you will be saved. That's encouraging. We learn about people that they're not so different. They look different outwardly. They look different circumstantially. But they all need the same thing. They all need Jesus. What do we learn about God? We learn that God loves all those different people. He's pursuing them and he's meeting them in different ways, the ways that they need to be met. And it looks very different in each of the cases. We don't know what happened to the girl who was delivered. We don't know if she was saved. She might have been, but we don't know. It doesn't, doesn't tell us that. But she heard the same thing that Lydia heard and that the jailer heard. She heard the name of Jesus and that there's power in the name of Jesus to save, to heal, to deliver. So what do we take from this? How do we apply this to our lives? Well, one, we might notice one more thing about God here. It's a surprising God. I mean, this is a story of a surprise, a living God that not only is acting, but is doing things that are so surprising. You hear a call. You hear a vision. Go to this place. What do you expect it's going to be like there? I'm sure they didn't expect they were going to be thrown in prison and beaten. Apparently, they were beaten pretty bad. They had open wounds because he had to wash the wounds. It wasn't just bruises. They broke the skin, you know. So that was a pretty serious that was a pretty serious welt. Have you ever had a welt that actually breaks the skin? It's you got to hit the skin pretty hard for the bruise to turn to turn into a uh, turn into an open sore. Um, but that's what happened. That's the response of God's vision. Go here. Is that what you would expect? It's not what I would expect. But it's not what I would expect. If God told me to go here, I thought I would think everything's going to go good. Surely. Everything will go well if that's where God wants me to be. What else? The most miraculous part, well, at least up to this point, where Paul does a miracle in the middle of a crowd and casts out a demon, that's the part that we don't see any apparent fruit from. <laughs> this little Bible study with a couple of ladies, he shares the truth. Conversion, praise the Lord, and then her whole household. You're out in the middle of a street, you cast out a demon, this pretty powerful sign everybody turns on you and starts beating you and in my mind i would think it'd be reversed well look at this powerful sign of the reality of their message totally rejected 
opposite of what I would expect. Not only that, there's an earthquake, doors open. What do you do? God opens your door to your jail cell. Your chains fall off. You leave, right? I mean, it's obvious. It seems like that's... It, the surprising thing is that they stayed. Uh, but they did. Somehow God told them or they they maybe saw the jailer needed... You know, if they they knew, maybe if I leave, the jailer's going to... Harm's going to come to the jailer, and so I'm going to stay. But they stayed. It's amazing. And that leads to his conversion. A surprising, a living God pursuing different people in different ways... And in, at every turn, every stage, it's doing something surprising. Praise the Lord that there is a living God. Well, what do, how do we apply this? Well, one, I just want to point out that the reason we're talking about this is to show you some of the themes from Philippians. One, the gospel. The word gospel appears more in Philippians in terms of the number of verses and how many times it appears than any other book. It appears in just over 100 verses a lot of times. And then another word appears more than in any other book in terms of verses, joy. And the word joy. And we see both those here. We see the gospel. Paul hears his call and he wants to share the gospel. And we see the effect of the gospel on these people. We see joy, the joy of Paul in, in the jail, in, in the Lord. We see the joy of the Philippian jailer as he turns to the Lord. He rejoices along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So we see these ideas of the gospel advancement and we see joy in the midst of suffering. And those are central ideas to the book of Philippians. And it's lived out here in like a very, uh, a very clear picture. When Paul says rejoice in the Lord always to the Philippians, I'm sure they thought, man, remember when Paul was rejoicing in the jail and... That's what led to, you know, maybe Deacon so-and-so's conversion. You know, it's pretty amazing. We don't, we don't know if the jailer became a deacon, but we know soon, you know, when Paul wrote the letter, there was elders and deacons. What else? There's one more thing. There's a partnership in the gospel. Paul talks about that a lot in Philippians. And that's clear here too. You notice as soon as Lydia and the jailer are converted, there's suddenly a change. They're partners in the gospel now. And she says, come and stay with me. And then later at the end, where does he go? He goes to Lydia's house. And apparently it seems like maybe other people were gathered there too. So Lydia goes from being this wealthy woman who goes to prayer meetings to having a house church and proclaiming the name of Jesus and serving Paul. And what about the jailer? Same thing. As soon as he's converted, he almost immediately becomes a partner in the gospel. He's a co-worker, and he's helping Paul. Come, I want to feed you. I want to wash your wounds. So all these things are just brief statements of introduction that we're going to come back to as we go through the book of Philippians. But we see all these themes that we're going to cover over and over and over in the book of Philippians right here in the beginning of the church. And so for you and for me, how do we apply this to our lives well, we can be encouraged to share the truth. God is pursuing people. And you may, it may be just some little thing you say that you share truth and there's nothing miraculous outwardly, just like with Lydia, and God saves somebody. And we can be encouraged to do that because we know God is pursuing people. The same way he pursued people here, he's still pursuing people today. All types of people.
right? Not just share truth with uh, people that look upstanding. Not just share truth with the down and out people. People on all ends of the spectrum. If you meet doctor, 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 so-and-so, who's got five doctorates down, down the road tomorrow, you know that you can share something with him that he needs to hear. Same with somebody who you don't know where to start because they've got so many problems. They both need the same thing. And we can be encouraged that God's pursuing them both. What else? We can be encouraged that we ought to show the worth of Jesus just like Paul did in in the jail there. And he loved Jesus more than his freedom. And he lived it out. He found joy in Jesus in the worst circumstances. And that led to, it seems like, to the jailer's conversion. So we should show the worth of Jesus. Why? Because God's pursuing people and he can use it. We can't orchestrate it. Paul didn't do that to try and get the jailer saved or something like that. He just did it out of the overflow of his heart and God used it. He couldn't have known that the doors were going to fly open. But God used it. We've got a God, a living God, who's pursuing all different types of people, and he's active. And what else? We've got a God that will surprise us. You know, there's an encouragement here in terms of closed doors. That's what led to all this, was there was a closed door here, and then there was a closed door in uh, Asia, and God wouldn't, didn't want them to go there. All why? So they could go and for this slave girl, for this wealthy lady and for this jailer and all the people in their household. He was pursuing them. You can, it's an encouragement to you. God may close some doors, but you know what? God's got other doors opening up where he wants you to be. What else? It's an encouragement in opposition and difficulty not to fall into the trap to believe that if it's hard, God's not with you. I feel that pull often. Okay, This is I, th- I thought this is where God wanted me to be, but it's going so hard. It's, 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 there's a lot of difficulty. There's a lot of opposition. I thought it was going to be easier than this. Well, it doesn't mean God's not with you. This is exact. Paul was exactly where God wanted him to be. That didn't, that didn't mean he was in an easy position. He was in a difficult position. And so the same for you. You may pr- follow what God has you to do. You think this is where God wants me to go as best I know how, and it gets hard. And it's harder than you thought it would be. Don't immediately start believing, well, that's not where God wanted me. We know for sure this is where God wanted Paul. And it was very hard. So we need to trust the Lord in difficulty. Find encouragement here. God may use it. God may want you in the jail to share with a jailer. God may, God may send you just where, you want, where he wants you. And it may be harder than you would choose for yourself. And finally, for you, if you're lost, it's a word, an encouragement to the lost. You see, wherever you're at, if you're miserable and you've got tons of difficulties or you've got everything you could ever want and you're unfulfilled, Jesus is better. This is a picture. Here's, here's this, you know, quote-unquote millionaire, uh, wealthy person, Lydia, and she knows she doesn't have what she, what she needs apart from Jesus. And when she hears she knows that this is what I want. On the other hand, we've got the slave girl who is in a horrible situation. She needs Jesus just as much. Wherever you're at, whether pleasures or 
you've got all the pleasures the world could offer and they're unfulfilling or your suffering's unbearable, you need Jesus. And he's there. He's pursuing you. He's got open arms ready to receive you. And he's better. He's better than, than what the world has to offer. And he's enough even in your suffering. He's a good God. The same gospel for all people. I want you to notice here one more thing about the gospel. If, you're, if, if you don't know the Lord... The reason God can offer the gospel to everyone, all the different categories, is because it's free, right? There's um, a saying from the Reformation. There was a guy in Germany named Tetzel, and his he kept going around saying this: "When a coin into the coffer rings, the soul a soul from purgatory springs." So he was raising money, and he said, "If you give me money, you're going to get out of purgatory, out of hell." Well, who's that good news for? Only people with money, right? That's not what the gospel, that's not the true gospel. The true gospel is good news to everybody. Why? Because it's free, just like Andy was saying. If, you're, if you've got nothing to offer, great, because the gospel is free. You come with open hands. You come with nothing, and you say, I don't have anything to offer. I need you to come into my life. I need you to save me. I need you to change me. I need you to wash me because I can't do it. What a good what good news for everyone, for all people, not just for the wealthy, not just for those who have got it all together, for everyone. Praise the Lord. Well, this is just an introduction, just the introduction to Philippians, this relationship, special relationship that Paul has with this church and how it started and and these themes that are going to come up over and over, a little taste. And so I just encourage you, if you're, if you're a Christian, share with, with people. Share truth. Try and show the worth of Jesus. God's with you. God's pursuing people. You may not know how, but you can trust him to lead you and guide you. And if you're lost, turn to him. He's worth it. He's better. He's able. And he's good. Let's pray. God, thank you for this short uh, time we have together and this passage and how you were active and living and pray that you would do the same thing in Kirksville. And I pray for down and out people in Kirksville, people in the jail, that you would save them and that you would invade their life and pray for people that are well off and have everything they could ever want, but they're, they're depressed and they're unfulfilled. I pray that you'd send people to them to share. I pray you'd be directing us, Lord. Would you send us where you want us to go? Would you fill our hearts with joy so we could be an example of contentment in you and love towards you that people would notice, uh, not because we're trying to be noticed, but just because of what you've done in our lives? I pray for people in difficult situations. I pray for people that are going to come into difficulties maybe later this year or next year. I pray that you would just be near and be assuring them uh, all along the way where, you, where they're tempted to doubt you're with them. Pray draw near in a special way to them. And I pray you turn those hard things for good. We love you, Lord. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you that we can know you at all. Thank you that you pursued each one of us and 
you did it in a different way for each one of us, the way we needed. Thank you so much. We look to you. You're a good God. Thank you for today. Amen.